Hey y'all, welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA, working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. In tonight's episode, we talk with one of the candidates for Texas House District 132, Chase West. Chase graduated from Katy High School in 2000 and attended the University of Texas at Austin, the University of Houston, and Houston Community College. While in college, he studied advertising, music, and audio engineering. Chase has lived in the West Houston area for most of his life and knows the issues and concerns that face residents in this area. He believes that representatives should have an open line of communication with those they represent and that voters deserve a representative who votes on issues as their constituents would, regardless of personal or political bias. Let's meet Chase and hear what he has to say for the voters in House District 132 and the state of Texas. Hello, Chase, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Thanks for having me. Please tell us a little bit about who you are and what on earth made you decide to get involved in Texas politics. (laughs) Well, so uh, one thing that that most of my friends and most people who know me don't know about me is I've been a political junkie for most of my life. in elementary school, when others were talking about fashion trends, Ferraris, and video games, I was talking about the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, I got my first glimpse of the inner workings of politics uh, when I was a field volunteer for the Obama campaign in 2008, and I met a lot of dedicated and inspired people, but the inspiration fizzled out over time, Uh, and I continued to armchair quarterback, hot-button political issues, and taught my daughter that you know the importance of political awareness and you know I I taught her that she believed enough she could change the world and so I'd always been interested in running for office but thought there was no place for a bearded tattooed musician with uh, uh, without a squeaky clean past in politics and then uh, Trump proved me wrong. Trump and a few others I can think of and mind you when I say that I'm talking about on both sides of the aisle by the way. Of course. <laughs> and as I watched the 87th legislature begin to present and debate their bills, I saw just how bad this session was going to be. Uh, most people in Texas no longer have representation. Um, and I knew something had to change. And I think I have some great ideas. So I decided I was going to be that change that I'd always encouraged my daughter to be. Sure. Uh, you know, words are, are, are very hollow. So I think we have to lead by example. Yeah, yeah. One one question a lot of politicians get, I'm sure, uh, one I hear all the time on the street is, you know, uh, how do you feel about the state income tax? Should Texas remain the way we are, or should we move on to the way other states are? Well, so this is my take. I, I've only ever lived in Texas, so I've only ever lived under a no state income tax system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ever since the 80s, you know, we've already effectively killed the middle class. Uh, so I'm absolutely against a state income tax. Uh, okay. If we increase jobs and productivity in our state, 
we cannot add even more tax burden to Texas families. Sure, uh, sure. Right now, Texas does not have a deficit, and we have so many avenues at our disposal to increase the budget without a state tax. I, I would agree with you on that. What about our schools? You know, some say our schools are fine. Others, you know, they, they, they would rate our schools here in Texas as substandard. Where do you see our school system, and what changes would you recommend? Well, and, and you know, schools are, 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 it depends on where you live right now. I'm a product of public school, and KDISD constantly outperforms uh, a lot of other school districts. Um, you know, it's a high performer. So I'd like to think that I had a fairly decent education, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of areas that don't have that. You've got tier one schools that are, are failing. Uh, you've got a lot of issues, and you know, it, it, it's a very complex problem. Um, you know, we've got the TEA that regu regulates the teachers and everything. Uh, right now, the average teacher salary, I think, is around 58000 a year, uh, which for that job, for the job of educating our youth, like the people who are going to run this country one day, I, I don't think it pays enough. Uh, I, 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 no, I don't think so either. I mean, in, in reality, that's hardly enough for anybody to support yeah. a family on, it, let alone comfortably and then you take into the fact you know that they don't get extra compensation for all the overtime you know them working until 9 p.m uh 10 p.m you know not hanging out with their families grading tests etc cetera, etc cetera. so firstly i would like to uh propose a 10 percent raise for all teachers okay uh, from the 88th legislature and i would like to see uh, more certified teachers aides in the classrooms uh, especially in some of the tier one schools to make sure that the teachers don't get overburdened and the next generation of teachers has the experience they need to, you know, do what, what, what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree that, that more personnel is, is probably key, especially per, per student capita, I think. Uh, yeah. And probably one that last thing, you know, on the whole education uh, side of it, so, you know, when I was in school and probably when you were in school, I think we had a standardized test, maybe one every three or four years. Um, <laughs> you know, they would test us to make sure, you know, that, you know, we could pass to the next level. And then they would have the state assessment at, at the time I was in school it was the TAS test, the TAAS. Mm -hmm. And we, we didn't have it, you know, every single year. It seems like they have based school funding on two main things that is standardized test scores and attendance and i think that's ridiculous because these teachers sure. who really want to make a difference have to spend two to three months prepping their students to just pass this silly little test to make mm -hmm. sure their school gets funding and, and i think we're putting too much stress on the students we're putting too much stress on the teachers and we're not getting exceptional results uh, you know, as a result of it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Not with the current program, especially. I mean, uh, and and contrary to the hair color on the top of my head, it's a little bit deceiving. I'm I'm a little bit older than that. That's why they call me Gramps. Uh, <laughs> the, the standardized testing that was in effect when I was in school was called achievement tests, and they were like every three years. Right. Uh, 
you know, once you got into to junior high and high school, first five years, though, you took one every year. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was, you know, it was the basic knowledge that we actually were being taught everywhere. It was basic standard thing across the country. You know, it wasn't individualized that much by state as it is now, I don't think. Right. But but uh, I, I agree, you know, standardized testing should be there to evaluate if what we're doing as far as an education program is working. But I don't think funding should have anything to do with it, personally. Yeah. Yeah. It should not be be fund driven. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a- academia is is something we need to strive for, and and having something to do with funds that that's getting off on another tangent altogether, in my opinion. Of course, I'm just <laughs> one man. I see that uh, healthcare is an issue that's important to you by looking at your website. What changes do you think Texas can make as a state to improve healthcare for our citizens? Well, there are so many. Um, you know, the first of those, which I'll just touch on it lightly because I know we'll talk about it uh, later in this segment. Um, but the, uh, the 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 legalization of recreational marijuana uh, and the amount of money the state can bring in every year just from you know a regular excise tax on that it is enough to really make a difference in healthcare. And what I mean by making a difference in healthcare, um, in Harris County, we have, I would say, six to ten, uh, what they call community healthcare centers. Uh, they do receive some funds from the state and from the federal government and stuff like that. But basically, what they are is they're kind of one-stop shops for everything that's not an emergency. You have your PCP there. You have uh, different types of therapy there. You have psychiatry, dental, vision all in the same building and they even have a pharmacy attached to most of them and what they do is when you go in there you can have private insurance you could have uh you know the the affordable health care act insurance or you could have no insurance and you meet with a financial advisor that works for the for the clinic and they will you know assign you a level uh, based on how much make money you make and so if you make absolutely no money, they don't charge you for your services. You can see a doctor, you can see a dentist, you can see a psychiatrist, and you don't have to pay a dime. If you make you know, a, a moderate income, well, then you know, you're gonna pay a, you know, a fair price based on your income. And you know, a lot of people complain about, oh, you, know, you start getting you know, all this you know, free healthcare and all this stuff that it's going to bankrupt it. No, these places are highly profitable and they still accept traditional insurance and they are making tons of money and they're expanding rapidly. So I would like to see, you know, some of the funds from the revenues we can make from legalizing marijuana go towards creating more community healthcare centers. Because right now, you know, they're growing crazy in the in the urban areas, but we're leaving out probably 70% of Texas geographically because there's a lot of rural areas that they really they just have to have traditional health care or else they just they're stuck. Um, so I think that's uh, something we can really really make an impact with and then another uh, another part of that that we can really do something with health care is expand or broaden the coverage uh, of, of you know what we can do with programs like Medicaid. Um, you know, 
right now there's several families on Medicaid and in my experience uh, I know quite a few families who have children on Medicaid who are autistic. Well, aut ASD therapy, uh, speech, occupational, um, and, and just all of the therapy that autistic children need to really uh, succeed is not covered under Medicaid. So they either have to pay out of pocket or they have to claim disability in order to get that therapy for their children. And I, I don't see why it should be so so much red tape to get that done. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. The, the, the bureaucracy that we have to go through for the programs that are supposed to be there to help people sometimes, uh, both both at the state and federal level, oh, in yeah. my opinion, are just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Pardon the short break for a word from our sponsors. Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about cannabis and cannabis law reform is brought to you by Something Has to Change, and now, working through advocacy to educate, agitate, and motivate millions in order to end the prohibition of plants. Visit www.facebook.com slash something has to change and now, for more information, because it really is pretty simple folks. Something has to change, and now. Are you enjoying the guests and content Gramps is bringing you each week? Do you want him to continue to bring you the guests and insights on these important public issues? Remember, Gramps does this all on his own. No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Think about making a monthly donation to help support the Gramps Place podcast today. It is as simple as visiting anchor.fm slash gramps hyphen place slash support and setting up a monthly donation. It can be as small as 99 cents per month. You would be surprised at how much that can help. As always, Gramps Place thanks you for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about cannabis and cannabis law reform. Well, bringing up the subject of medical marijuana or, or marijuana in general, mm -hmm. how do you feel about the current medical cannabis program, the teacup program here in Texas? So, I, and I feel positive and negative about it, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar, I mean, I know you said you haven't been in Houston for over 30 years. But in the late 2000s, we had a huge opioid uh, crisis. Sure. We had uh, doctors on every street who were guarded by Harris County Sheriff's Office. And, you know, local officials knew about it. And if you wanted opiates, you wanted benzodiazepines, and I mean, you wanted drugs, basically. All you had to do was go to those doctors, say, oh, my back hurts. Oh, I'm anxious and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to write you a script. You're going to pay them the money, and then you're going to take it to the pharmacy they tell you to. Mm -hmm. uh, now, why that? While that killed a lot of people, cannabis is not going to kill anyone, and Absolutely. it's not going to create addicts. But you know, every state that we've seen that started with a medical marijuana program like this has inevitably moved to recreational, and all this is really doing is giving 
the doctors and big pharma a cut of the money before we say, okay, we're going to take it and actually help the people out. Um, I don't think it needs to be uh, a medical thing. I mean, I think anyone who wants to do it recreationally, who's an adult, and anyone who needs it for medical reasons should just be able to go to the dispensary and get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of answers uh, part of my qu next question, which was basically about how you feel about legalizing marijuana. You, you pretty well answered that already, that, <laughs> that we need to make that move. But right. uh, what kind of differences do you think that legalizing marijuana will have on things like property taxes, for instance? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and this is this is an interesting thing, and, and, and it's actually one of the things that I've been researching and talking with people for about two months to try to get a direct answer on. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Texas does not have a property tax. It's all controlled by the municipalities. Sure. Um, and, you know, so we have these people that, you know, are campaigning to go to Austin. Like, we're we're going to lower property taxes. Well, no, you aren't. You don't have jurisdiction. You know, I, I it's think, nice to hear somebody actually say that out loud. <laughs> right. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I do think that, you know, if, if we can, you know, facilitate some of the revenue from that, uh, which, you know, based on estimations uh, of a 15% excise tax on recreational marijuana and our population as a state, we could bring in an estimated $2 billion a year to our revenue just from the legalization. I, I, I would estimate from the, from the rates that they have uh, just rate of sales, mind you, uh, mm -hmm. rates of rate of sales for in the legal markets that I've I've researched across the state, uh, United States, from Colorado, California, Oregon, Washington, are the main ones that I've looked into, mm -hmm. and I can say, without a doubt, that Texas could have a five percent tax on mm -hmm. on recreational marijuana based on our population and based on the average number of people who are currently already using marijuana on a daily basis in the state of Texas. If they were to transfer over to that legal market, you would have way more than two billion in a year. Way more. Yeah. For the I mean, Colorado is crazy. Illinois is crazy. I mean, they had two billion just recently was their mark. And it's like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we got just a few more people in Texas than they do in Illinois. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and we can, you know, I, I'm trying when you know when I when I spew this information, I try to keep a conservative estimate because you well, know, sure. uh, when elected, I, you know, I don't want to. Oh well, we didn't have a great year. Oh, Chase West said two billion, and now oh, we see he's a liar. Like yeah, you know. absolutely, absolutely. So I'm definitely trying to stay conservative with that, but I mean, there's just there's so much money to be made, and then we've got the issue of jobs. The cannabis industry is blowing up and mm -hmm. you know, based off of, you know, the numbers and the population, it looks like Texas could add up to 30,000 jobs in the next five years in just the cannabis industry alone, which has a median salary of $68,000 a year. At which, minimum, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at bare minimum. It's, it, it would be, I think, uh, you know, cannabis in my mind, if we could get past uh, this federal prohibition 
mm-hmm. and open the door in states like Texas that are still dragging their feet from just fully opening the door, like Colorado or California, for instance. If we could get to that point, I think that it would not only bring in all this tax revenue from just the sale, like you say, make the jobs. Now we got more tax revenue, right? And then I I think it would end up being the next industrial revolution because there are so many different uses for the hemp side of the spectrum. You know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Apologize for interrupting you there, but no, no, you're good. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is, is Texas already has the infrastructure. So we have farmers who are growing the stuff. Like we've got the infrastructure. We have one of the best agriculture, you know, systems, you know, in the country. Like mm-hmm. we know how to do this. Sure. And, I mean, you know, it's it wouldn't just help, you know, hemp farmers. Like it would help, you know, subsidize and and and, and you know add to farmers all over the state regardless of their crop um i just we've got everything in place and and there's no reason not to to use it yeah well and you know the the big argument that i used this last session when when i was talking to my my representatives Mm. was because the argument in 2019 was in the 86th legislature Mm -hmm. the pushback from my my representative and my senator was well, you know, we got to be real careful because we don't want everybody doing it. And and this year, I just went straight to him. I said, don't even don't even tell me that this year, because here's the thing you're forgetting. Whoever's wants to try it or wants to do it already is. We yeah. haven't stopped anything. The no. number of arrests and convictions prove that you're not stopping anything. And, and it's, it's just crazy. But this is the thing, you know, they say, oh, we don't want everyone doing it, but they're fine with everyone, you know, getting drunk and, you know, going out and, you know, possibly killing someone. You know, they're fine with big tobacco, you know, selling cigarettes to whoever, you know, they're fine with, you know, all of the adverse health effects of of opiates and benzos, you know, they're fine with veteran suicide, Uh, you know, there's... It's a non-issue. There is no reason not to be about it. And I think, what is it, 73% of Texans support legalized marijuana for adults? I believe that's an accurate number for the latest numbers. Uh, It might even be a little more than that as far as as the medical I know is more than that. Right, right. As far as making it full-blown with flour and the whole bit, I would say probably 80% of Texas is for that. Or, or maybe even better. Now you're um, obviously have already made it clear how, what your feelings are on recreational cannabis. Let's let, let let's open the door and let's go there. So okay. with that being said, uh, obviously if we do that, there's mm-hmm. got to be some kind of regulation. There's got to be some kind of age limit. What are your thoughts there? Um, I think we should treat it like uh, like we do alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why the TABC cannot add that to, you know, what they, you know, what they manage. Um, You know, I I don't, you know, I don't want to go to a restaurant and, you know, have a couple, you know, two seats over or whatever, 
you know, smoking weed right there while I eat. You yeah. Know, obviously, you know, it needs to be in certain places. Like, you know, you can smoke in your home. If there is a, you know, marijuana bar or marijuana coffee lounge, hey, go for so it. Be it. Yeah. Um, and, okay. you know, if you're caught driving under the influence, you know, same thing. Absolutely. Just driving drunk. But, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, if they, if they just, you know, control it, under the same type of laws as, as they do alcohol, you know, I don't see it. You know, in Denver, they've seen a decrease in crime since they uh, legalized it. Uh, they've seen a decrease in suicides. Mm -hmm. um, they've seen a decrease in domestic disputes. Um, they've, I mean, there's, there's so many positives to just legalizing and making it accessible. And the fact that it's not addictive and it, you can't overdose on it, whereas alcohol is very addictive. Alcohol sure. is, you know, I don't know the numbers, but thousands upon thousands of people, whether it be due to cirrhosis or alcohol related diseases or just through, you know, negligence uh, behind the wheel. Yeah, I know. I know when my my son passed from epilepsy in 2016 and I first started on this journey uh, and started my research into different facts and figures and, and things to compare right. with the stats and figures that I could find that there were at the time for cannabis. And uh, one of those stats for 20, I think it was a 2015 year, there were 9,978, I believe, is the number, mm -hmm. drunk driving deaths in the state of Texas that year. And, and I can promise you there wasn't one from cannabis. Right, right. But I can also promise you there were just as many people that year using cannabis in Texas as there were using alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, on your website, you talk about how uh, you believe that the people should have a fully accessible representative. Tell us yes. what you mean by that. Well, so, I mean, and, and I'm not sure who your representative is right now, but I understand that during the legislative session, uh, which five months out of every two years, you know. Crazy, I know. Yeah, but I mean, I understand during that time, most representatives aren't going to be very accessible but you know whether it's through uh something on you know their website you know like polling or whether it's through facebook twitter or whatever you know i think that state representatives should reach out to their constituents and say hey so this is a this is a bill that's going to be coming up in, in a month or so to vote on what do you guys think so you know maybe do a zoom forum maybe do a, a, a poll something yeah. to, to really get their input because you know yes you can be democrat yes you can be republican but no matter where you are representing you're not going to have 100 percent democrats or 100 percent republicans and the people voted you there to represent them so you can't just bow to your party whatever they say and just you know well the people voted a democrat so i'm just going to vote democrat because that ain't the way it is and that's yeah. the way it's been um, yeah. So, you know, if, if, if I were to get 
you know, enough kickback from the community saying, hey, we don't like this bill that you're thinking about supporting, you know, we'd talk it out. If I have to drive, you know, back down from Austin on a weekend to have a town hall and actually talk about the issues, hey, if, if more of the people who are willing to get involved in local politics, you know, want it a certain way, it's my duty to vote the way that they want, regardless of my personal beliefs and regardless of, of my party's beliefs. And a lot of people don't like hearing that, uh, especially the fringe partisans, but I'm sorry, we need representation by the people for the people. Sure, sure. And and I didn't see on your website, what, what party are you representing? Uh, I am uh, running as a Democrat. Okay, I, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. Uh, so one last and probably one of the most important questions for you and your constituents that you're running for, how do you plan to work to help the people of House District 132? Well, I mean, you know, uh, first of all, like, you know, like what we discussed, uh, I plan to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be the guy that, you know, just shows up whenever there's a catastrophe and, you know, let me bring some poor people some water and take a picture for the cameras <laughs> or, you know, when it's election season, calling everyone up, hey, you know, I'm your representative. Can you give me some money? not going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy that, that, you know, is on the ground working as much as I can, you know, when I'm not in session. Um, You know, with the term limits, you know, we plan to decrease political corruption. Um, We plan to add the $2 billion to the annual revenue and create those extra 30,000 sustainable jobs over the next five years. We want to release nonviolent drug possession offenders from from Mm -hmm. jail and prison to, you know, in the prison, the prison and jail overpopulation. We want to direct more uh, funding to the education system and take some of the burden off of our teachers while increasing their pay. And we'll just bring back common sense legislation, you know, for the people. Um, everyone, well, not everyone, but there are so many people who just feel so disenfranchised that, you know, they'll watch the national news and like, oh, look what Biden's doing, or look what, you know, so-and-so is doing. But that's not what really affects us the most. It's it's local politics that really you know has a bearing on how our lives are, and uh, we definitely need common sense and we need real people in there who aren't afraid to step up for what's right. Okay, sounds good. Uh, what are ways that people can find you if they want to want to join up on your team and maybe maybe help your campaign or or just see what you're all about? How can everybody find you? For sure. Um, our website is www.west4fortx.com. And then uh, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter uh, at the same handle. It's at westfortexas.com. That's W E S T F O R T X. Well, I don't do the dot com on the Facebook and Twitter, but at West for Texas. Sure. Okay. Great. Well, that's it for another episode of Gramps Place, folks. And I want to thank you, Chase, again for joining me tonight. And as always, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. You bet. As always, it really is pretty simple, folks. Something has to change. And now. Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else you can think of. Brought to you by Something Has to Change and Now. Working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. 
For more information, visit www.facebook.com slash something has to change and now. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcast or visit grampsplace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place. <laughs>